Would you like to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians and chapter 2? We already touched on the, uh, the beginning of chapter 2 uh, when I last spoke, um, but we're going to start at the beginning and we'll work through to the, to the end of the chapter. And uh, I shall read it. So Paul writing to the Corinthian believers. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood it, understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understand the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God, for our time together today. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the encouragement of your word. Thank you for the encouragement of being together to lift up your name. And thank you that you're present with us as we do that. Like Chris mentioned just a moment ago, we, we pray again, Lord, uh, keep revealing truth to us by your Holy Spirit. Keep leading us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Lord, be glorified amongst us. Lord, I pray that there would be uh, just new music in our hearts to the Lord because we see afresh the absolute wonder of what he has done, Lord, as you've revealed yourself to us, Lord God. You've made us to be objects of amazing mercy and grace. Give us eyes to see again. Give us ears to hear again the wonders of God that have come clear to us uh, in the gospel of Jesus. Amen. So Paul, uh, up to this point, has been pointing out in no uncertain terms that the gospel owes nothing to human wisdom or cleverness. People did not respond to the gospel when Paul preached because he was the most uh, skilled 
public speaker that he, would, he didn't give impressive performances that necessarily wowed crowds into believing. They didn't believe on account of how impressive he was. They believed on account of how impressive Jesus is. That's why he says at the outset, you know, he decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He goes on to describe himself, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. My message, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom uh, and so on. So he didn't, he didn't come uh, in his own confidence, confident in his own speaking ability. He didn't come just putting on an impressive style that would fit the culture of the day. He knew that he was weak, fearful and trembling, but he resolved to keep speaking about Jesus Christ and him crucified and nothing else, knowing that many would think that the message about Jesus sounds either weak or foolish or both. However, he's keen to point out as well, as this passage unfolds, that even though the gospel does not sound wise in the ears of the world, uh, that Paul was not using a style that was thought of as wise, he says, we do impart wisdom. The gospel is true wisdom and true power from God. True wisdom about a saviour coming and dying on a cross to forgive our sins and make us new creations. That message of wisdom was hidden from everyone. At a certain point in history, it was the ultimate plot twist that nobody saw coming that in dying on the cross, Jesus was actually achieving for all who believe a salvation that can never be eroded and never be taken away. It looked like ultimate failure, but it was ultimate victory. This is the message of the cross. This is what Paul is boasting in. This is what he wants the whole world uh, to hear about, that Jesus saves. And that is how he saved. He saved by dying on a cross and then three days later, uh, being resurrected, raising from uh, the tomb. No one saw it coming. The, the rulers of the age didn't see it coming, be they the, the Greeks or the Romans, uh, the, the Jews and the Gentiles. No one saw it coming. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus um, in the first place. No one, claim could to, no one could claim upon Jesus' death and resurrection to say, oh yeah, I thought you'd do that. Everyone, even his closest disciples, were taken, are taken aback and ultimately crestfallen until they hear these strange rumors that actually Jesus is alive. He's appeared to a couple that were just walking on the road to Emmaus. And this couple run back, however many miles they'd gone down the road. They've run all the way back. They've come all the way back. They found Jesus' disciples and said, we've seen him. Sometime later then, uh, Jesus appears to those disciples. He says, it's me, I'm here. You can, you can see where the nails went. You can see that the wounds. You can see that it's really me. And I'm hungry. Give me something to eat, he'd say. Giving the disciples proof that he had been raised to new life so that they could go through the world utterly persuaded, new life is available for you, 
in Christ. He's led the way. He's opened up the way. He's made it possible. We can know him, know the forgiveness that flows because he shed his blood for us and come into his eternal, wonderful family. Don't you want to know him? They, they were totally convinced. Well, they were totally convinced because Jesus, I assume he sat down, Jesus sat down with them and opened up the scriptures and went through it to show this is what this is what had to happen. And it's like they're seeing it for the very first time. They may have heard that Jesus had predicted his death. But just, it, it, it was like nonsense to them. They hadn't understood. They couldn't understand. But now, with the risen Jesus in front of them, opening the scripture and opening their minds to receive it, they, they get it. And then a few days later, they're filled with the Spirit, and then, woomph, the church starts to grow. The gospel goes starts to go global as people hear the wonderful good news that's only in Jesus. And Paul is saying this, this has come about not through uh, the apostles, Paul himself, other preachers just trying to use clever words twisted together to trick people into a response. Oh, he was such a charismatic personality. I, I was, I was kind of convinced in that meeting, you know, the way they had the smoke machines going and the lights and everything. Um, it was just there was something about the atmosphere. I just had to. But now, a few weeks later, it's a bit of a puzzle to me again. No, it's none of that. It didn't come by just clever human tactics to try and cajole people uh, into joining like a spiritual timeshare scheme. It was, there was no trickery in that sense. It was people coming to realize this weak, trembling man who stood up to preach in Corinth and Ephesus and elsewhere is telling me something about a man who died on a cross and it's been revealed to me that it's true, that it's historical and that it's powerful and that it's wise. So, so Paul is pointing out it didn't come around by all those human uh, skills or tricks, if you like. It, it comes about in another way. We might kind of ask ourselves, well, if, if no one saw it coming, if it sounds foolish and weak, how come anyone's come to receive it? But he says, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. That doesn't mean it's kind of tucked away even now and God will just kind of pass, parcel it out to a few people with a kind of nudge and a wink. You know, come and join the secret. It's the way a lot of cults operate is by trying to encourage people. You can, you can come in on this entry-level ticket. You can all come to the party. But if you really want to progress further, there's some other things you've got to do. And, uh, uh, and a special pathway is created so that a few people, not everybody, but a few people can understand a bit more. A few people can work their way up. A few people might get grander titles. No, it's not... It's saying that it was, it was secret and hidden from absolutely everybody. And now it's, it's open. The, the, the mystery has been revealed. It's been revealed in Jesus dying and being raised to new life. And that God brings that to us by the word and the spirit. 
That's how God brings us to that point of realisation. No one can be a believer in Jesus and have good grounds to take pride. Ah, I've understood. I, I got it. I mean, other people won't get it. They won't understand, but... I, must, I guess I am more spiritual. I guess I'm just more receptive. I guess I'm just a bit wiser. I guess I'm, I'm cleverer. I can crunch all the data. I can, I can remember all the stuff. Uh, it's understandable that some people won't get it, but look at me. I, I, I managed to decode the mystery. No, you didn't. None of us did. It was God doing it by his word and by the Spirit, revealing to us this good news that has our jaws dropped to the floor as we say, wow, what a God. What an amazing God. And so to be a church is to be a people of the Word and the Spirit. I don't know if you've heard that phrase. You're not, you won't see it directly in the Scripture. Sometimes little uh, spiritual slogans can develop to help explain a concept. We've just got to make sure they're still helpful to us. But to be a people of Word and the Spirit. I think to Paul, I don't, well, I don't know precisely what he would have made of that, of that term, the, the word, being a people of the Word and the Spirit, I, th- I think we can see something of how he would just see these are together. There is no, no separation. Look at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, with, with deep conviction. He'd seen the truth of the gospel impact that community in Thessalonica uh, in, in the word and the spirit and in power and the Holy Spirit with full, uh, full conviction. I've started to read uh, in my own times in the morning, uh, started to go through the book of Romans. I just started uh, looking at it again uh, this week and just reminded the Apostle Paul, obviously wrote 1 Corinthians, wrote Romans. He wasn't like going on some weird ramble. This is like an amazing letter expounding the gospel to us, helping us to understand. It's like, wow, I think we can say he was good with words. And when he went on preaching, it's funny how this has been mentioned a few times recently, when he went on preaching in Ephesus, and he was leaving that day, so he preached until midnight, teaching uh, the church. It says that Eutychus fell out of a window, having fallen deeply asleep. He fell out of a third-story window and fell to the floor. And in Acts, it makes it clear that when he fell to the ground, he was dead. And Paul allows himself kind of sets preaching aside for the moment and goes downstairs and, 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 and puts himself on Eutychus and says, no, there's life in him. It's interesting, just hearing the interpretation to a tongue, there's, there's resurrection life. It wasn't just, I'm just going to help him back up, a bit bruised. No, he was dead. And Paul, Paul goes to him and with the power of God at work, sees him come back to life. He was alive again. They went back upstairs. He could keep preaching. I think you could say the Word and the Spirit always, always together. No strange distinctions. He could talk about the Word, the Bible, being the sword of the Spirit, knowing that in John, 
The Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And there's that saying, isn't there? What God has joined together, let man not separate. That's talking about something different, but I'll just borrow it for this, for this purpose right here. The trouble is, and maybe more recently in church history, and maybe not everywhere around the globe, but maybe in this nation in particular, is, is a, a distinction seen between the Word and the Spirit, a separation, if you like. An understanding then that some churches, some communities might be more word-orientated, which is good. Good to be orientated to the word, isn't it? Clear on, on doctrine, accurate in what they are sharing and declaring, giving over time for the learning and the study and the appreciation of Scripture, that we might know God better. And perhaps uh, among such a church, there would be an atmosphere of, of real fear and awe of God, of, of reverence, Appreciating that God is utterly holy and utterly different from us. There's nothing there to be rejected. That's wonderful. But perhaps sometimes in such a church there could be a wariness of the things of the Spirit. A fear that we might, if we opened ourselves to the Spirit of God, that we might tumble into error, we might tumble into um, emotionalism. A, a, a focus on feelings to the detriment of the focus on our faith? What do I feel? One writer has said it's possible that just to, to live on spiritual hunches about God. I, I'm not sure what God's like. I don't really remember what the Bible says, but I'm sure God wouldn't do this. I'm sure God would think that. But just kind of based on, on very loose Hunches. I think it's good to be word orientated, isn't it? To orientate ourselves to the book, to the word, to what the Bible says. As long as we don't lose focus of also being a spirit orientated people, there can just be a, a division. Uh, and over here in the spirit orientated church, we're, we're aware and we believe we can be expecting to encounter the presence and the power of God doing stuff amongst us. We can, we can meet with him, uh, but maybe there could be a corresponding fear. We, we, we don't want to give into, like, we don't want to fall into a trap of being overly intellectual about our faith. And so you could have a community of people desperate and eager and expecting to encounter God, but well, let's not give too much time. Uh, to the Word of God. Um, perhaps that could sum up what has happened in churches in the UK, or, almost perhaps a, a pendulum effect or swinging between extremes. Holding on to something dear, but fearful of something else that God has, God has given us. And maybe we can think of it, well, I used to, I don't think this is a massively helpful illustration, but it might illustrate a point at some, some moment. Uh, growing up at home, had a, a set of weighing scales, if you're wondering what gesture I'm making. Um, the old-fashioned type, this is before things had all gone digital, and you just place your thing on 
one platform. So you had, you had weighing scales. On the one side, you'd put weight, a pound or a kilo. And on the other side, you'd put flour or whatever the commodity was you're wanting to, to measure out. And you're hoping to strike a really delicate balance in the middle. Then you know that you've got the right amount. So you, to start with, you're just pouring it in on one side. All this flour's coming out. And then the scales start to move. You don't want to go too far. You don't want too much. Oh, and, and so if you have just put slightly too much in for the weight you were trying to measure out, maybe get a spoon and just take some of the flour out, put it back. It starts to move. Not enough. Just take it back. If we think of word and spirit in those terms, in that kind of image, it's a bit daft, isn't it? As though we could have too much of the word or too much of the spirit. Now, we're not, we're not trying to create a, a delicate balance. I like it here because you know, sometimes someone might pray out in tongues, but it's, it never goes too far. Like we wouldn't want three. That would be too much. I like it here because we spend some time in the Word of God, but let's not have too much. It's like, what, should, what a weird way of thinking. But we can stumble into that sometimes. We're just trying to strike a balance. Let's expect for the power of God, and let's receive the word of God, and, and let's make sure that we're not going too far in either direction. No, we're not looking for some strange, nuanced balance. We're looking to be a people of the word and the spirit fully, wonderfully, in all the ways that scripture would have us believe and expect. And we see here, this is a passage that encourages us to see the word and the spirit, not as separate entities that we're trying to balance out. Let me use another illustration um, imagine you're driving or in a car on a motorway. And uh, there are certain junctions, I suppose, when, when motorways merge together. Um, this happens when we go and see some family members, and we're on the M42, and for a while it becomes the M6 as well. They just merge together before, after a few miles, they go their separate ways again. So at that point, I can't precisely remember how many lanes there are at this point, so this is just hypothetical. You've been on one motorway, but it's merging with another one, and now you've got five lanes of traffic, and each and every lane is in the M42, and each and every lane is in the M6. So when we're thinking about being a church of the Word and Spirit, we're not kind of thinking, well, which side am I? Where should I, which lane should I put myself in? What sort of Christian believer would I like to be? Should I go middle of the road? Do I go more towards the Spirit or do I go more towards the Word? What's the Lord leading me in at the moment? No, we're not, we're not thinking that. It's, it's all Word and Spirit together. That's what God has called us to be as a church. And what we hear, what we see here is we learn about the Spirit and the Word We learn a few things about the Holy Spirit that help us with God's Word. I'll run through these four points. Firstly, the Spirit knows. The Spirit, we're told in verse 10, partway through the verse, searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, at this point, the Spirit is not like me searching around the house 
for something I'm sure is there somewhere, but I can't quite remember where I put it, and I might have thrown it out in recycling. And then in which case it has gone, and there's no point in me searching, but let's hope that it's here somewhere. The Spirit of God is not searching the deep things of God, unsure about what he's going to find, or where he might have left something. The Spirit is searching the deep things of God in the sense of having full access to the thoughts of God. Nothing about a God is a mystery to the Holy Spirit. And it is only the Holy Spirit who knows and understands God. Paul uses an illustration for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So imagine uh, you and I are downstairs having a coffee later on. Uh, for the sake of the illustration, let's suppose that we've never spoken before. Uh, that might be the case for some of us in the room. Uh, let's have a chat. Um, now if we just stood there having a drink and I said nothing, you wouldn't get to know me at all. Now, maybe if you're Sherlock, you might discern what I've had for breakfast or something else about me. But if, honestly, if we, met and, if we met but had never spoken before and I said nothing about me, I would be a complete mystery to you. The only one who knows me is my spirit, my, my inner person, if you like, aware of my thoughts, aware of my preferences, aware of lots about my history, if you like. But until I speak, that's all a mystery to you. The spirit of God, in God, knows all there is to know about God. And the fact that we then know something about God is because it's not just that the Spirit knows. Secondly, the Spirit reveals. It says in verse 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. It goes on later on in verse 12 to say, now we've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us. The Spirit reveals that anybody knows anything of God and the gospel in Jesus is because the Spirit of God has revealed it to them, to us. So it doesn't, doesn't originate with our cleverness as though you looking at me could work out what I'd had for breakfast, my whole life story, how many siblings I've got, where I was born and everything without me doing anything and just standing there. It was because I chose to reveal myself. It's the Spirit of God choosing to reveal himself to us. So his desire, God's desire, is not to leave us in the dark, but to reveal and help us understand the truth and understand the gospel. Notice that God is, is doubly generous. It says in verse 12, We've received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God... We've received the Spirit who's from God that we might understand the things freely given us. God has freely given us of himself, of his word, of his life. And he's given us the Spirit to help us to understand what we've received. What an incredibly generous God. The initiative starts with him. He took the initiative with us. He chose to reveal himself. That's how we can know anything about him. We see also that the Spirit inspires he inspired Paul and the other apostles note this they were 
In, in verse 13, we impart this in words. I think, well, if the Spirit is the one who does all the revealing, we might think, why was Paul so keen to get involved? Oh, the Spirit will do it. God will do it. No, there was an eagerness to impart this. We've, we've received the Spirit. We've received from Him. We've received revelation about who God is and how we can be saved. And now, bubbling up, is just this enthusiasm, this desire to share the truth. This is worth this is worth speaking out. So the Spirit's desire to reveal the truth did not have them sitting on their hands in some kind of vague or passive hope that others would have it revealed to them too one day if they're lucky. They were active, wanting to impart the truth to others. Note this, they used words taught by the Spirit. We impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So after writing even this very letter to the Corinthians, Paul could say, I wrote that. I thought about what I'd heard was going on in Corinth to try to understand uh, how they're kind of getting a bit awry and off course. So knowing knowing those guys as I do, knowing what Corinth is like, and knowing the gospel and the Spirit of God, I, Paul, worked out and considered carefully what to say to them, what to write. These are my words to the Corinthians. Paul could reasonably say that, couldn't he? Obviously. And at one and the same time, the Holy Spirit could say, I wrote 1 Corinthians. I taught Paul what words to use to bring the truth across to them. The Spirit knows, the Spirit reveals, the Spirit inspires, and the Spirit lights up. He lights up our hearts to help us understand what's been revealed to be true. Interesting phrase at the end of verse 13. Again, we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We use the term spiritual as almost like an accolade, an achievement. I am a spiritual person. It can be a source of pride. In the Bible, it just means someone who's received the Spirit. So it's actually a humble thing to be a spiritual person. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The same Holy Spirit who was active in and with the apostles helping them to write letters like this and write the New Testament. That same Spirit who sat down with Paul nearly 2,000 years ago is the same Spirit, Holy Spirit, who is active and amongst us right now and when we come to the Word of God, to help illuminate it, he's working at both ends of that massive process. The Holy Spirit illuminates our minds to help us grasp what has been written. Imagine uh, a little pedestal here with a sundial on it. 
a sundial where it's been worked out, it's been precisely measured, uh, so that the part of the sundial that sticks up, when the sun comes, it creates that uh, shadow. But if you're looking at the sundial on a really cloudy day, it's not going to tell you the time. You're not going to perceive the time. The Holy Spirit shines on the truth, and we receive it and, and can understand it and be blessed. So bearing in mind, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, firstly, let's not limit what we think the Spirit does. That the Holy Spirit, he does give spiritual gifts. You can have someone speak out in tongues and another one interpret. It's the same Spirit at work. You can have someone bring a prophecy and the Spirit is at work can be at work when we're praying for someone and they're healed and restored. They're made whole, having been prayed for in the name of Jesus. We might not understand. Who are we to kid ourselves that we understand what the Holy Spirit is doing when somebody goes, I've just been healed. Remember a situation years ago where, where Rachel and I were downstairs in a coffee time and, and someone uh, very new to the church, I'm not even sure they were a believer, but they'd heard something about Jesus and they came up to us, they came up to Rachel and said, pray for me, I've got toothache. And so Rachel just placed her hand, said, we'll be healed. And her, her face was suddenly aghast. She knew that she'd received the power of God that remove, toothache is nasty, isn't it? You, you can't just ignore toothache. If you've got serious toothache, my guess is you want that to be solved yesterday. It's the, like, the power of God. We don't want to just like, box in the Holy Spirit. Just to our little niche and our expectation. Maybe that's boxing him into, well, he just does some supernatural things once in a blue moon. For others, we might just box him in and say, well, he's, he's inspired the scripture for us. And he's brought that to us. We want to be going along that motorway in all the lanes. You know, you get that big, you might get a big sign over the whole carriageway. And you know where to line up if you want to go in one direction or another. But for us, everything has got to be word and the spirit. I even think about that going through the different sections of this letter. At the moment, Looking at Jesus and his death, and his, his death, the crucifixion, and what it means to be a church. I want the Word and the Spirit to be teaching us what it means to be a church, what it means to be a united people. Like cars heading onto that motorway, we might have come from slightly different directions, actually. We might have different experiences. For some of us, we've, we've, we've learned, like Timothy, we've, we've known the Scriptures since we were like knee-high. We're familiar with, with good, sound doctrine. Brilliant. There might be others who are, are familiar with just amazing and incredible, miraculous, supernatural encounters of God. Yeah, what can happen if we just put ourselves into one camp or another or one lane, or another, is we start to either get competitive or a bit edgy 
with our fellow brothers and sisters who worship the same Lord, who are part of the same church, may have come from a slightly different direction in their faith and in their journey, and we can spot their problems. We can spot their weaknesses. Well, they're great with the word, but really they need to buck up with the Spirit. Or it's wonderful um, uh, how they know the presence of the Spirit, but really they should read the Bible a bit more. We can just... Well, you've been on the motorway, haven't you, when someone can, can just like cut you up. Just like, it's as though you're not there. Then you just move over. I wonder if that's what was happening in, in the life of the church. There's this, there's this competitive vibe. People are kind of ranking fellow believers on how spiritual they are or aren't. And just cutting up, cutting in. Rather than this community humbly going together, pulling together, a people who are always kind of just leaning in, just aware. We've received so much from the Lord. It's all by his generosity and grace. And there's just there's so much to learn. Let's just keep learning. Let's keep learning as we think about what it means to be a united church. Let's keep learning when we're thinking about, as we move on in the letter, um, about relationships and the right place for sex and singleness and marriage and so on. We'll look at that and think, well, let the Word and let the Spirit be teaching us. Let's learn from the Spirit of God, from the Word of God, in this community of God, what it means to live a right and holy life. Let's do that together. Let's believe for that. When it comes to worshipping God's people, worshipping amongst a community of people, let's, let's learn from the Word and the Spirit. When it comes to gifts of the Spirit, let's be a community of people who are, who are learning, not kind of just getting into our separate lanes. Yeah, there's basically three people who pray out in tongues. There's about five people who interpret. Let's be a people who are, of eagerness. And not even just to focus on that, but recognizing the, the breadth of work that the Holy Spirit is doing amongst his people. It doesn't knock anyone down a peg or elevate somebody else. We're all just delighted to be part of what he is doing. Maybe that's also about learning, to change the metaphor slightly, different seasons of life. Let's imagine that we've still got these five lanes to the motorway. And you came on, bright and sunny day, glorious conditions. And for a while, you know, you did that thing where you just stayed in the left-hand lane for a while, just size everything up, feel secure. Between the ages of naught and 20, I experienced the power of God and the Word of God in this way. And he helped me to live out my life as a 20-something for Jesus, by the Word and the Spirit. I knew his favor and his grace. And then you know what happened? I moved over into the next lane. And now I'm in my 20s to 40s. But the Spirit and the Word of God are in that lane as well for you to learn how to live to honor him and glorify him. Knowing that you probably move up as you go right, it gets faster and faster, doesn't it? That does happen to time, doesn't it? Oh, goodness, it goes quick. Um, Moving through different phases of life. Maybe you've just moved into this new phase, a new pattern. A new place. I think, well, I really knew God then. What about now? Look, he's with you. He's here with us in every place, in every age, in every issue, in every way. Let's be a people humbly learning from him, pressing in, encouraging 
one another, working out what it means to be a community of the Word and Spirit, not choosing a side, not having a go. You might think, is it possible to go too far? Yeah, it's possible to go too far. It's possible to get really cold and unloving. It's possible to kind of drift into all sorts of error. But we've got the Word of God and we've got the Spirit of God and we want to fully explore all that he's revealed to us to be true and life-giving and vital as being part of a church. That's the journey that we're on. That's the journey that we believe in God for, to impact this city, to bless this world, and to lead us in ways that glorify him forever. Amen. I'm going to pray, and we're going to worship God again in just a moment.